0: Welcome back to Worth Recovery. I'm Amy. I'm a recovering sexaholic and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. December 2nd, you know, is a pretty big deal to me. And as of today, the day I'm recording this podcast, I've been sober for three years, six months and 24 days. However, December 2nd was not the first day I walked into a meeting. It was not the first day I entered recovery. It was definitely not the first day that I decided that I wanted to change my behavior. It's not the first day that I cried myself to sleep or knelt and vowed to my higher power that this was the last time I was going to act out. No, it was not the first day of any of those events. In the front of my recovery book, I have kept track of the different sobriety dates I have had throughout this journey, As I reflect on that, I realize that it took me nearly 18 months to find a program and a sobriety that worked for me. 18 months. I had slip after slip and relapse after relapse. During that 18 months, I was attending therapy every week, 12-step fellowship meetings every week, usually more than once a week, and I was working steps. I was definitely making progress, but I was still struggling to stay sober The slips and sometimes the falls or relapses that went along with them were hard for me. They were hard for me to navigate. If you look at this list of dates, you'd see that many of them occurred two at a time. I would have one fall and the shame of it would lead me to act out again. It was hard for me to pull myself out of it and usually within 7-10 to days, I was acting out again. The double shame of acting out twice would sometimes light a fire underneath me and recommit me to sobriety. But sometimes the double whammy would put me into despair and you'll see another date just a week later where I acted out again. I was putting so much effort into recovery, so much time, so much money and yet I was struggling to find a sobriety that was going to stick long term. What December 2nd represents for me is the day I finally got real about what I needed to stop acting out. It was the day I was humble enough to admit that what I was doing wasn't working, and that my own best thinking wasn't keeping me sober, and the day I was finally aware enough to put into place key barriers to prevent me from acting out, to prevent my triggers from becoming slips and my slips becoming falls. That is what I want to talk about today. How do we prevent triggers from becoming slips and slips from becoming falls? Many of you asked me about this topic, and I just wanted to take an opportunity to share with you some of my best thoughts and some of the thoughts of others. Now, before we jump into this topic, let me share a few quick reminders and announcements. Of course, our first Worth Recovery event, Engaged in the Struggle, is coming up. It's scheduled for Saturday, July 16th in the Seattle, Washington area. I hope that if you're in that area or if you're traveling to that area, that you're going to join us and be there. I just found out some women are traveling to join us and I'm really excited about that. The response has been tremendous, and I can't wait to meet all of you and spend some more time getting to know you. You've heard about our speakers and know about our lineup. All of that information can be found on the website, worthrecovery.com. Our three major topics are going to be trauma boundaries, and mindfulness. I'm super excited about the CSAT therapists that we are have that are going to present. If you live in the Washington State area, I hope you're coming. Again, Saturday, July 16th in Renton, Washington. You can get online at worthrecovery.com Early bird registration, the discounted price, is only available through July 1st, so you want to make sure that you get on and register before then. And one of the things I'm most excited about is that this really is the first ever event of its kind focused on women and sex addiction, a live in-person event. So I'm excited and I hope you're going to be there to join us and celebrate that. Also, if you don't live in Seattle or you're listening to this after the date of July 16th, don't worry. There are more events in the works. I know I keep telling you I'm going to announce those soon, and I am. I'm just working on putting the final details together around the lineup and things like that. So we are moving forward on those, and I'm excited about that. Next, I wanted to give a big shout-out to our Worth Warriors. Woohoo! Thank you for your support. Seriously, ladies, it's because of the Worth Warriors that we can keep this podcast free for all of you listening. You know how highly important it is to me that when a woman in sex addiction reaches out, she has another woman to connect with. Too many of us find ourselves isolated and alone when we enter recovery. You can be part of providing that connection and having the voice of another woman to connect with by becoming a Worth Warrior. For as little as $4 a month, that's less than 50 cents an episode, you can support other women in recovery. The other thing you can do is to share this podcast. Do you have someone that you think might benefit? Maybe they're in sex addiction. Maybe they're in another addiction. Maybe they're even a male. It doesn't matter. If you think that they would benefit from this podcast, share it with them. Help them find the support that they need. Help them by sharing your favorite episode. All of the information for both our upcoming event as well as our worth warriors can be found on the website worthrecovery.com www.worthrecovery.com Now let's get back to our topic today. This is episode 42, Slips and Falls. Before we discuss these tools I've used to help me stop the falling, I think it's essential that we understand a little bit about how our triggers turn into slips and then how our slips turn into falls. To do that, we need to understand a little bit about neuropathways. Now, quick reminder before we get into something too technical here, I'm not a therapist, nor is anything I offer here meant to be technical, medical, or therapeutic advice or an answer to anyone about anything. What I want to share are the explanations that worked for me. What others have taught me and what stuck that helped me to finally stop acting out. And I hope in that process, you can find something here that will help you as well. So back to neural pathways. Quick explanation. A neural pathway is a path from one portion of our brain to another. They help us live, breathe, function, eat, and learn. We have lots of them. Some of them are reactionary, and we have little to no control over them. We blink our eyes when our eyes feel dry. We flinch when we feel like something's headed our way. Our leg kicks when our doctor hits the knee in the right spot. There are parts of our brain telling our body to do certain things, but we don't control them. There are some we have a little more control over. We breathe but we can hold our breaths. We walk, but we can train or change the way we walk if we try. These are just some examples. And there are also neuropathways we developed by choice. We engage in an activity over and over again until it becomes a habit. The brain creates a pathway within itself to support that habit, to make it easier, to make the habit feel ingrained or what we call sometimes like second nature. We engage in the habit over and over again. The pathway becomes well-worn and strong. This habit might be throwing a ball. Maybe it's a difficult series of ballet movements. Maybe it's playing the piano, memorizing a piano piece, or simply driving a car. This pathway becomes well-worn, a clear-cut, deep path from one portion of our brain to another. This habit could also be an addictive behavior. I feel rejected, so I act out. And that becomes a pathway. I see some sort of stimulus and so I act out and that becomes a pathway. Sometimes the connection is clear, but sometimes it's not. These are what we call neural pathways. I sat in my therapist's office one day crying on one of my relapse days. One of the dates in my book I didn't know how it had happened. I honestly couldn't figure out what the trigger was or why I had acted out, or really what had happened. It just seemed to happen so quickly, I couldn't figure it out. This was the day that I learned about neural pathways. My therapist used the analogy of a riverbed. Neural pathways are like riverbeds, he explained, a deep riverbed that has only one route and one outcome. Triggers are the beginning of these deep riverbeds in your brain. Something happens, a trigger, an emotion, or an event, and then the river takes over and you're in the rapids on your way to acting out. And sometimes you end up at the end of the riverbed before you even realize what had happened. Early on, I would relapse and look around and ask that question, what happened? How in the world did I get here? How did this happen? And I really meant it. I wasn't in denial or trying to avoid responsibility. I really had no idea what had happened. The river was too fast. I would get triggered, and before I knew what had happened, the flow of the river was too strong, too fast, and I would end up at the end of the river acting out, not even realizing what had happened in between. Now, the riverbed made sense to me. I could see what he meant. I had experienced that, being at the mercy of the river and not being able to stop it. He was explaining nearly every relapse I had had that far in my recovery. And then he said, what we need to do in order to heal is to put a huge boulder in the river, blocking the flow of the water, forcing the water to flow out onto other areas, to learn new things and to have different responses. For whatever reason, probably because I love water and I grew up surrounded by water, this analogy clicked for me really deeply and made a lot of sense. I needed a dam. I needed to build a dam and force my brain to find other ways to release emotions and triggers. I needed to force my brain to learn new things and I needed to dry up the riverbed, the neural pathway that led to addictive behavior. I needed a dam. Now, out of our conversation that day was born my trigger release process. This was my first step towards a dam. We all have triggers. These are emotions or events that happen in our lives. In the course of human events, they probably happen in everyone's lives to some degree or another. What makes it a trigger is that we have connected that emotion or event to an addictive behavior Through a neural pathway. Does that make sense? We connect that emotion or that specific event to an addictive behavior with that neural pathway. One of the biggest ones for me is feeling invisible or ignored. That is a huge trigger for me. When it happens, my neural pathway in the past has looked like this. So it starts, I feel invisible, unheard, or unseen. Next, I start to feel anxious about getting my needs met since I'm being ignored and unseen. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to get my needs met. So, I start to fantasize about a situation where I am heard and I am seen. Now, that fantasy can be benign, but usually it turns sexual pretty quickly. And I seek an online situation where I can actually be seen and heard and sexual. Then it turns into a phone call, real life being heard and seen. And then finally, I use that to act out via phone sex or we meet in person or something like that. That is my neural pathway. That's how I get from feeling unseen and unheard to acting out. Sometimes I can do it in a matter of hours. Sometimes it happens over a number of days. But that is what was happening for me. The first part of my dam had to be at the beginning, at the trigger of feeling unseen and unheard. And so I developed what I call a trigger release process, something that dammed up the rest of the pathway and forced the water into new areas of my brain, new behaviors, new awareness, new things. I picked five things, five things I was going to do to release my trigger. Now, I'm an educator by profession. I picked the number five because you have five fingers and it's easy to remember. Remember, I worked with kids. So when I'm triggered, I hold up my hand and I list the five things that go along with each of my fingers for my trigger release process. Now, what I wanna do is share with you these five things. I've kind of generalized them to give you the principle, but then I'm also gonna give you specifically what I do in this particular area. So number one is I complete an act of surrender. In steps one, two and three of the 12 step program, we've learned the art of surrender. We quit fighting with our triggers and our addictions and we surrender them instead. In this part of my trigger release process, I have listed that I surrender to my sponsor or another program member as needed. But this can't just be a quick phone call. Hey, I'm feeling triggered. Thanks for listening. You know, let it go, right? That won't put the boulder in the river. No, you have to do more. A true surrender means that I've been as specific as possible with this person. I name the trigger in specific terms and surrender it specifically. For me, this might look like this. This is this is actually something that happened to me. I would call someone and be like, Hey, I just rode in an elevator with a man wearing Tommy cologne. Now, this is highly triggering for me because one of my previous acting out partners used to wear this cologne. And I'm thinking about him and I'm romanticizing our relationship. I'm calling you to surrender this. I know that our relationship was damaging for both of us. I know that I don't want to act out again. And so I need to th- surrender this, let it go, and move on. That might be something specific that I might surrender. Surrender means that I name it. And I give it up. The first act of my trigger release process is to surrender as specifically as possible. This is my boulder. This is me saying, I don't want to go down this river again. I want to stop this neuropathway. And so by surrendering, I take that boulder and I put it in the riverbed. That's my first step. Now, my second step, number two, is I make a plan to stay sober for the next 24 hours. I'm sure that you know how this works, right? I tell you, don't think about the color orange. Don't do it. Don't think about it. And yet, I bet all of you right now are thinking about the color orange, or you're looking around and actually seeing something orange. The same thing works with surrendering, guys. I say I'm not going to think about it or focus on it, and that is great. However, unless I give my brain something else to think about it, it works just like the color orange, and it will be hard to give up thinking about Tommy cologne or about this particular acting out partner if I don't give my brain something else to think about. My next step in releasing triggers must be to make a plan to keep myself safe, distract my mind and do something to keep me out of danger. For me, how I work this, how I work this step is I sit down and I set a timer for 15 minutes. I'm a big fan of timers, by the way, but we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. I look at the next 24 hours of my schedule, my calendar. I plan at least two times to check in with recovery friends. I write it on my calendar and I set alarms so that my phone will remind me to do this. I also look for anything in my schedule that might be dangerous for me. This could include social events, family events, or maybe alone time. Alone time can be dangerous for me if I'm already triggered. I make any specific plans I need to in order to guard myself for the next 24 hours. Then I share that plan with my sponsor. Again, I'm specific. It might look like this. My plan is to connect with a recovery friend every six hours for the next day. Also, I will bookend my dinner with family tonight to be sure I'm dealing with any emotions I need to. I make a plan to keep myself safe. That is securing the boulder in place and making sure that there's no leakage around the sides. I'm filling in the gaps to be sure no water at all makes it down the river. That's my second step to make sure that I do something, make a plan to keep myself safe. Now, we've got three more. These last three items on my trigger release process deal with new neural pathways in the brain. If I want new neural pathways, new ideas, new behaviors, I have to actually do new things. If I just plug up the dam, the water overflows and can be overwhelming. I have felt that way in the past. I plug up the dam, I say I'm not going to act out, but I just sit around and obsess about not acting out. That's not really that helpful. It doesn't really help at all. I keep thinking about not thinking about it and then just think about it a whole lot more. I learned through trial and error that I needed to do more than just think about not thinking about it. I actually had to do new things. And so the last three things in my trigger release process are about doing these new things. So, number three, do something physical to dissipate the energy that triggers bring. I have found that triggers bring physical energy to me. I get a little worked up, so to say. Not necessarily aroused, just an adrenaline rush of sorts. In order to really release the trigger, I also need to release the energy that comes along with it. What I do to release that energy really has to do with the time that I have and where I'm at. Usually it has to do with walking and listening to music. But sometimes it's dancing and listening to music. Uh, I love listening to music. It really helps me focus. It especially helps me to refocus in a different direction. So you need to do something physical. Running, jumping, dancing, sit-ups, planks, stairs, walking. I don't care. I don't know. Whatever works for you. For me, I have a playlist titled Happy on my phone. It's 20 minutes. I walk for the entire length of the playlist. Sometimes, if I don't have 20 minutes, I will put on my playlist and dance for the first two songs. They are really upbeat and fun and about living an awesome life. But whatever it is that I do, I do something physical to dissipate the energy that triggers bring. Not only that, this helps me bring a different kind of energy into my day and into my life at that moment. Because doing something physical will help me to bring more energy into my life and focus in a new direction. And so I have found this to be really, really helpful. Number four, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do something emotional to help me restore my emotional serenity. So after doing something physical, then I think about something emotional. When I first started recovery and was trying to stay sober, triggers would stir me up, man. They would bring up emotional crap from the past. They would cause me to feel defeated and desperate. Many times I would feel discouraged. I had to do something right away to change these emotions. Because if I didn't, I would end up in a shame spiral. And that is never helpful when I'm trying to stay sober. I needed to do something to help me... to. I needed to do something to help me move back to a good place, to dissipate the emotions that were brought up by the trigger. There are many things that you can do to help with this. Some of my favorites and my three kind of go-tos are affirmations, gratitude lists, and writing. I'm a huge fan of affirmations, talking back statements. I'm sure you know that. I have a stack of 100 little cards that I've designed over my years in recovery. I will just sit and flip through them, reading each one of them out loud. Many times, this can drastically change my mood and get me ready to move forward in a meaningful way. Now, gratitude lists are also highly helpful. I will sit and list as many things as I can that I am grateful for in my life until my mood changes. I I do do this as part of my daily routine. I list five things I'm grateful for. But when I really need my mood altered, I will challenge myself to keep going. 10, 20, 30, or even 50 things that I'm grateful for. I find it has been really helpful. the last one, my last go-to, is writing. Writing is one of my favorite activities to help me work through a trigger. I write about handling things different. I write about how different my life is now that I'm sober. I write about changing the flow of the river. I just write and write until I feel better. And it has really helped me. There are many things you could do here. Perhaps you're an artist and you could draw. Maybe you like meditation and so you'll do that. Maybe you want to read and get lost in a book. This can be anything you find that will help you alter your mood and emotional state and restore you to emotional serenity. The last thing I do on my list, number five, my fifth finger, that'd be my pinky, is I do something spiritual to help me connect with my higher power. In my earlier surrender, the first part of my trigger release process, I surrendered to another person. In this part, I surrender to my higher power, to my God. This isn't just surrendering though, this is also connecting. For me, I surrender it exactly like I did earlier, as specific as possible. However, this time around, I also work to connect with my higher power as well. It's not enough just to surrender. I ask a blessing upon the object of my lust or resentment or rage. I say something like, Please bless this acting out partner, wherever he is. Bless him with all the good things that I wish for myself. Please take away these memories from me and help me to focus on what I need to do today. I will also include portions of the serenity prayer. Help me control what I can control today, which is myself, and help me let the rest go. In connecting with my higher power, I'm connecting with the light inside of myself. This can be amazingly helpful in trying to end the obsession and to move forward. Now, these five steps, hold up your five fingers, form a trigger release process. One, an act of surrender. Two, a plan for the next 24 hours. Three, something physical to dissipate energy. Four, something emotional to restore emotional serenity. And five, something spiritual to connect with my higher power. I gave you some examples of what I do, but you know how much I love individualized recovery programs. You'll need to figure out what works for you in each of those five areas. What will help you process the trigger and move on? What will help you create that dam in your river and dry up the riverbed? You'll have to figure that out on your own, but I know that those five steps can help guide you in that process. Now this totally works, even now, in my own recovery, when I know the trigger. When I can tell I'm triggered, but what happens when I don't know the trigger? (laughs) I had several moments like that, where triggers kind of snuck up on me, or where I couldn't identify them, and being overwhelmed, I was swept away by the river and ended up at the bottom, acting out, shaking my head, trying to figure out why and what happened. So the next thing I need after a trigger release process is a way to slow the current down. A way to stop before I get to the bottom of the river. We talked about how we prevent our triggers from becoming slips. How do we prevent our slips from becoming falls? That is where we're going to pick up next time in episode 44. How do I prevent my slips from becoming falls? How do I come back from a slip? How do I stop a slip before it turns into a relapse? I'm excited to share with you some of the ideas I have found that work for me and also some of the ideas of others that I know. I would love to hear from you about this as well. Get online, get on Facebook, find us online, share with us your ideas, share with us what your trigger release process looks like. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this moment, no matter if you're triggered, slipping, or falling... You are Worth Recovery. Get up. You're 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up this fight, ladies. Keep it up. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit today, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. Ladies, I think about you. I pray for you every day, and I love you. Until next time. Amy.